0: If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. We'll be looking at one verse of scripture this morning, Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. Romans 9 and 13 on this uh, part number 32 of our Bible sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. Romans 9 and 13. And here the Bible says, As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, we're just needing your help so bad. Lord, you know the devil's been fighting me on this message all week long. God, we need you to fill us full of wisdom, power, spirit, boldness, and understanding, God, that your word will go out and do a mighty work in the hearts of men and women today. Help us, Father, and may you receive any glory and praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we didn't have time last week to get into this verse. We covered it, sort of, last week, but I told you we would probably have to revisit it. So that's what we're doing this morning here in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. This is, without a doubt, one of the most difficult passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Uh, there are so many questions and ideas and interpretations and things around it that men have and... um the truth is, when we see certain things in the Bible such as this, where God says that he hated something or someone, uh, our natural inclination is to try to downplay that or to soften it or try to make it sound more palatable. Uh, because we just can't see God in that way. Uh, we look at things like hate with flesh eyes, fleshly, carnal, sinful eyes. Because when we say we hate, it's usually something sinful, um, and that we react to it in a sinful way. And see, God's the exact opposite. He doesn't look at hate the same way that we do. We'll talk about that more as we go, but you need to be very careful when it comes to things such as Bible translations. Now, it's no um, secret that we believe in the King James Version of the Bible, the authorized King James Version, and we don't see any need for any other English translation of the Bible for English-speaking people. It's the perfect and Word of God. I, I certainly believe that. Uh, so you've got to be very careful these days what Bible version that you read out of or study or listen to because a lot of them try to downplay a lot of God's Word. They take God's Word out. Uh, they change it. They twist it. They do things to make it something that it's not Example for this scripture right here I looked at a few different Bible translations And you can pull these up online at uh, BibleGateway.com You can pull up every Bible translation that's known to man uh, And see what each one says about verses in the Bible Just put in the verse And it will show you every translation's interpretation of that verse Let me give you three here that uh, Out of the English translations of the Bible That are being used today uh, the CEV this is a very popular version of the Bible these days it's the contemporary English version and anytime you see the word contemporary you need to be afraid because it's what it is it's temporary uh, but the contemporary Bible says this about Romans nine thirteen. that's why the scriptures say that the Lord liked Jacob more than Esau now that is not what this verse says at all um the, the, this this version, the N-I-R-V, the New International Reader's Version. I'm not real familiar with this version, but uh, I don't know how long it's been around. But this is what it says. It is written, I chose Jacob instead of Esau. Now, that is not a, a real bad um, translation of it, but it is not what God's Word says. Uh, they're trying to downplay that word hate. They don't want to put that word hate in there. This one, the W.E. version, I've never heard of it before, the worldwide English New Testament version. It says, so what shall we say? Does God do what is not right? No, never. Now, that is completely not even the same verse. And so you need to be very careful of what Bible you're studying out of because you may get the wrong information. And uh, listen, I don't think we ought to twist God's word, change God's word, soften God's word, you know, uh, try to make it sound like something that it's not, just so it's more pleasing to men, because that's what men want. They want things pleasing to their ears. Well, that's not what, what goes on when you preach God's word. You've got to stand on the word of the truth and not back down and just say what God's word says. And so with that thought in our mind, I want us to examine this verse this morning, verse 13 of Romans 9. And we're going to break it down into three sections. i want to look at the first section there, of as it is written, and the next section, Jacob, I've loved, and the last section, but Esau, I hated. So with that in mind, look at Romans 9, 13, that first section, as it is written. All right, last time we mentioned that in, here in Romans chapter 9, Paul actually refers to 16 different Old Testament passages of Scripture, or there's 16 citations of Old Testament Scripture, throughout this chapter we mentioned some last time this here is one of those now this uh, particular one is from Malachi chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 and what that verse says or these verses it says I have loved, ja- loved you said saith the Lord yet ye say wherein hast thou loved us was not Esau Jacob's brother saith the Lord yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. All right. Now, when you uh, study the Bible, you need to compare scripture to scripture. This is one way that we do that by looking at this. And whenever you see something in the New Testament says as it is written or as it's been said or uh, as you have heard or anything like that, go and look for where it's been said, heard or, or written or whatever and compare the scripture to scripture, because this gives you the the best understanding of God's word. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I think it would be okay to mention it again. Uh, Three years ago, there was a pastor, his name is Andy Stanley, he's Charles Stanley's son, uh, pastor of a big church down in uh, Alfreda, Georgia. Three years ago, in one of his sermons, he said this, he said, uh, he was arguing that, uh, a Christ the Christian faith must be. Here's his word, unhitched from the Old Testament. He stated that Peter, James, and Paul elected to unhitch the Christian faith from their Jewish scriptures, and then he goes on to say, "And my friends, we must as well." Quote. That's what he. That's the quote from him. So here we have this man, Andy Stanley, pastor of North Point Community Church, Alfred, Georgia. They have over 5,000 people that regularly attend that church. Back in 2017, there was a survey given by um, Outreach Magazine. And they said that Stan, uh, um, Andy Stanley was one of the 10 most influential living pastors in America. Now, this is where what I'm trying to get to you. When you listen to certain men supposedly preach from God's word, I know Andy Stanley doesn't use a King James Bible, for one thing. But Andy Stanley is not really what I would consider a gospel preacher. He is more of a motivational speaker. He speaks very well. He's got a lot of understanding and knowledge on how to reach people's ears by what they want to hear. So he's very selective in in what he says. This, What he said right here about being unhitched, that was no accident. That didn't just slip off his tongue. He had prepared that statement so that he could use it there in his sermon. So obviously... Uh, Charles Stan or I'm sorry, Andy Stanley is not much of a gospel preacher, because if he were was he would notice that in the New Testament these men he mentioned he mentioned Peter James and Paul he didn't mention Jesus did you notice that Well I find in my Bible that Jesus Peter Paul uh, John all these men in their preaching they referred back to the Old Testament. Many, many, many times, Jesus Himself, time after time, re- goes back to the Old Testament and and presents scriptures, and of course Paul does too. But let's let's look back here uh, to our the, uh, our verse at the next part of it. So the first part, as it is written, so everything that Paul is telling the the, the believers there in Rome, he's saying, now you know what's been written about this about God's love and, and hate about esau and jacob you know what's been written and they immediately go back to malachi chapter one verses two and three now of course they didn't have the the canon of scriptures that's been already um uh, fixed to where it's in uh, verses and split up into chapters and all this they had long scrolls with books uh with all these in it but they would know exactly what he's speaking of all right now that next part here in romans nine and thirteen the second part it says Jacob have I loved now nobody has a problem with that that statement Jacob have I loved they love that I mean there's nothing wrong with that yes we know God is a God of love Uh, everybody likes to think about God's love in fact you can go to some places they never mention anything but God's love the entire time Uh, they won't preach Bible doctrine and all this stuff they want to keep people's thoughts upon the, the lovely love of God and it is it's lovely God is pure love. There is nothing evil about God. He is, he is love. Uh, but God, his very essence is love. God not only loves the Christian, but he loves the sinner. Now, I've already told you before, one of my least favorite sayings that people say is uh, hate the sin and love the sinner, you know, and all that. That's one of those little cliches that need to be needs to be stricken and never brought up again. Uh, but God has what we would call a general love for all mankind. All mankind. We know from John 3.16 that it says, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Now, the world would contain righteous and unrighteous people. So he loves all. It says all the world. And he sent his son Jesus here to die for the entire world, not just certain people. And keep that in mind. So when it comes to God's general love, listen to, for example, what Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Now this this is an example of God's general love for all mankind, Matthew 5 and 43. It says, you have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust, for if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so, but ye therefore, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now, notice that Jesus started that little uh, part of that sermon out by saying, you have heard that it's been said. Now, if you go and search your Bible for those words that he just said, you're not going to find that. So it's not what's been written, but it's what's been heard, what they've heard. Where did they hear this from? Well, they heard it from the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the the priests. They were teaching a half-truth of God's Word. For example, part of that message is right. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. That is in the Old Testament, the book Book of Leviticus 19.18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge Against the children of thy people But thou shalt love thy neighbor As thyself I am the Lord That is absolutely true That part had been written But what they've heard Is the next part that the Pharisees The scribes, the Sadducees and the priests were saying And hate thine enemy Hate thine enemy is not in the Bible It's not in there So what's he saying Well what they've done They've added to God's word and they were bad about that. Uh, they added to God's word all the time. They had these all these laws and things they had written um, that was not in God's Word. And so one of these, this saying that they have heard all their, their lives, the Hebrews would have heard, well, you know, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but I hate that enemy. That's what that's what my priest said. That's what Brother Scribe down there said. <laughs> and that's what they were hearing. Well, Jesus says, but I say unto you. Now, when he says this, he has all authority to say this because he is God incarnate. So if God is saying this, he says, but I say, don't listen to what you've heard. Don't listen to those nutjobs, those religious basket cases. He says, this is what I'm telling you. He said, love your enemies. And so, he comes along sets the record straight, gives the, the correct interpretation of what God's saying. And, uh, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now that is tough things for people to hear because nobody wants to do that. But he says if you do that, you'll be perfect like your Father in heaven. And so that's what Jesus tells them to do. Now this was radical teaching in in that day and a lot of times in this day because we have these thoughts that we're better than everybody else. Our enemy is we're, we're to hate them, we're to destroy them, we're to wipe them off the face of the earth. That's, that's what most people's thoughts are. Jesus doesn't think that way. God doesn't doesn't say that. Uh, listen to what Proverbs 25, 21 says. It says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. Now, how many people do you know that your worst enemy in this world are you going to go up and feed and give give water to? In their time of need. Well, most of most people would not. But that's what the Bible teaches. That's what God says. Jesus all tell also tells them how God's love is a general love for everyone when he says, For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So saved and lost together have a general God has a general love for everyone and gives them blessings. Even the lost person today is blessed by the things that God provides. They've got, uh, they've got air to breathe. They've got uh, food to eat. They've got all these things at their disposal because of God's general love. Listen, listen, if God only loved certain people and withdrew any of his love from all the rest of the world, it would be a totally different world. Uh, it would be, you can't imagine what it'd be like. And so even the worst sinner is blessed by God throughout his life uh, because of the wonderful results of God's general love for all the world. Uh, Just the fact that God offers salvation to whosoever will is a clear indication and sign of God's general love for all. Now, aren't you glad of that? Because of that, because of God's general love for all the world, everyone can be saved if they want to be. Everyone can... Believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And by faith believe that. And by God's grace he will save them. As simple as that. If you're saved today. Uh, you were once without strength. The Bible says in Romans 5, 6-8. For when we were yet without strength. In due time Christ died for who? The ungodly. He didn't die for the godly. He died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that, again, God's general love for all mankind, while you were a sinner, while you were without strength, unable to save yourself, God loved you so much that he called you and saved you. Now, we're going to talk more about that calling and election here in just a moment. But, like I said, if you're saved today, you were once without strength, you were once ungodly, you were once considered a lost sinner, but God loved you so much that he saved you. Now, I fully believe, from reading God's word, that anyone that comes to him for salvation, he will save. I I really believe that. I don't believe there's anybody that God said, no, no. I don't care what you want. I'm not saving you. I don't think there's anybody that God would do that to. If they truly, in their heart, believed in him as their savior, accepted him, trusted him as their savior, I don't believe he would turn anyone away. That's what the Bible teaches us. And so I believe, now this is, seems radical, but I believe men such as Adolf Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, all those animals that killed those that young couple here in Knoxville a few years ago, um, I believe Judas Iscariot could have been saved if he'd simply believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior, repented of his sins, and asked him to save him. I believe that he would have saved him. I really do. Now, as far as all these men I just mentioned, I don't know of any of them that are saved or were saved. I don't know. Uh, It's between them and God. But I truly believe God can save anybody. Now, We spoke here about God's general love for all mankind. But God also has a specific love for his elect. Now this is for his elect unto salvation. So a general love for all the world. And a specific love for his elect unto salvation. Now we're going to talk about that word election here a little bit. Now um, election is a Bible doctrine. There's. No getting around that. A lot of people, they hear the word election. We don't want to hear that. We don't want nothing to do with that. We're not reformed. We're not Calvinist. We're not this. We're not that. You know, all this. Listen, uh, election has nothing to do with John Calvin. Sure, it's it's part of his tulip program or the ones they attribute to Calvin. Calvin didn't come up with that. It was someone else that did based off his teachings. But election is has nothing to do with John Calvin. He didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. It's Bible doctrine. And so uh, it's very clear from God's word that believers are God's elect. God's elect. Not just the Jewish race. Now I've said in the last few sermons, yes, in the Old Testament, we do see that God chose Israel among all from all other nations and they were his elect. However, we are taught in the New Testament That those that are elected are simply those that he has called and saved. So whenever the word election is mentioned in the Bible, there's always those that want to relate it to Calvinism and label that as reformed teaching. This is not a Calvinist church. We're not a reformed Baptist church. We're independent Baptists. And uh, we believe in in the way of the Baptist doctrine. Uh, But we believe what the Bible says. Now, we've already covered who the elect were in past sermons, but in case you wasn't here or you, 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 this is the first time you're listening, maybe that word elect simply means chosen or selected. That's what the word in its base meaning means. And so God's elect are those that he mentioned up there in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. We studied this a few weeks ago. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. According to his purpose for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called and whom he called them. He also justified and whom he justified them. He also glorified. So they, these are those that the Bible speaks of that are the elect. Uh, We see election mentioned or the, the foundation of it in Ephesians chapter one, Verses 3 through 6. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has, here it is, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. According, and this is important, to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. So there, Paul, writing to church at Ephesus, is explaining that the elect, the predestined, those that God foreknew, they're accepted in the blood. But notice, every time, it's always centered around it being God's will, and it's in Christ. The elect are always in Christ. You're always saved through Christ. No other way. Uh, in first Thessalonians chapter one, verses four through six, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Again, election is selection. God selected. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were, were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Here I want you to understand that Paul is relating those that are electing God as hearing the gospel and getting saved. So, what does this mean? Well, we are taught throughout the Bible that the only way you can be saved is if God draws you. Now, people don't like to hear that. When it comes to things such as deathbed, uh, what they call it, confession, Uh, people that get saved in the last second of their life. Now, I believe that can happen. I honestly do. Someone that truly believes in the gospel and trusts the Lord Jesus as their Savior. I believe you can save them in the last second of their life. I certainly do. But I am afraid there's many people today that are grasping for straws in those critical moments and critical hours right before they leave this walk of life and they don't know what else to do. And somebody says, call on the name of the Lord, you know, and they'll say, Jesus saved me. Yep. But they have no, no belief in the Lord Jesus. Uh, they, they were never a believer, but yet just uttering those words, then there's this belief even by some people in that room that they got saved because they uttered those words. The Bible says, call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. But the meaning behind that is that you understand who you're calling on. You're calling on the one who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And so if you don't believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then you don't believe in him. And so be careful about these deathbed confessions. Uh, But the Bible says in John 6 and 44, No man can, uh, can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him and I will raise him up at the last day. So, uh, just as we read a while ago in Romans 8 and 30, moreover whom he did predestinate them, he also called. That's the, the drawing, the calling, the drawing. It's all, it's all together there. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So there's not all these people walking around seeking after God. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, all these lost sinners and that they're just desperately seeking after God. No, they are not. They're seeking after their flesh. Men love the darkness rather than light. Their their deeds are evil. The Bible says. And so, in our carnal flesh, we will not seek after God. No way, no how. It's not possible. Only through God's calling and drawing can you then. Seek after God. You'll seek Him when He calls you and draws you, but not before that. There may be some thoughts or questions. you There may be some people maybe talking about Jesus or something. Maybe you're inquisitive or thinking about Him or something or wanting to know more, and that's perfectly fine. But there is no carnal man that's dead in the flesh that is looking for Jesus. The Bible says, none, not one. And so the Lord will draw those who will be saved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on, unto them. And so there's also powers of darkness and evil working against those That are lost so that they won't come to the light. How do men come to the light? How do men understand anything about salvation or being saved? The Bible says by the Word of God. So the preaching of the Word of God. How can they hear without a preacher? You know, faith cometh by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing by the Word of God. And so that is how people get blinded from understanding God is because this devil, the one uh, says the God of this world the God of this world is Satan he's a roaring lion and so he is putting forth effort to blind people from the gospel it's hid to them and it'll stay hid as long as they stay blinded but when the word of God is presented so that's why Jesus says go you into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature if we don't do that they won't hear the gospel they will be lost and die and go to hell That's why you preach the gospel. We're never told to uh, uh, be concerned about whether or not we're the elect. You know, there's a lot of people, Oh, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. If I'm not one of the elect, I'm going to die and go to hell. No, no, no. The Bible never, ever, ever says that. It never anywhere says that only the elect are saved. It does say the elect are saved, but it don't say only the elect. (laughs) All right, so... I think we can safely say that if you are truly saved today, then God called you. God drew you unto himself. He does that through the working of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget when it happened to me. Six years old, I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for Kool-Aid and fun. And I heard the word of God. It was preached. And when I heard the word, the Holy Spirit came by and he convicted my heart. That I was a lost sinner. And I believed in what Jesus did on that cross to save me. And I believed that with my heart. And I asked him to save me. And he saved me. And he's never left me. And so salvation, is it's a wonderful thing. But we don't see anywhere in the Bible where we're to be concerned about whether or not we're the elect. But we are told to preach the gospel. And to believe in the gospel by faith through God's grace to be saved. That's what the Bible tells us to be concerned about. Not to be concerned whether or not you're one of the elect. Forget about that. And so there is not one single person that has ever been born besides the Lord Jesus on this earth that deserved salvation. That deserves God's love. No one. So that brings us to the last part of our verse, Romans chapter nine, verse thirteen, the last part. But Esau, have I hated? Now this is where things start getting difficult for a lot of people, and, and, and myself. Uh, I've I've grappled with this for a lot a lot of years, a lot of hours that that I've thought on this and studied on it and prayed about it and and everything, and it is so uh, difficult. But I believe we can get some understanding here as long as we leave God's word to say what it says and not try to soften it. And so uh, we don't want to explain this away. Hate sounds so harsh. We're taught as children, don't tell anybody you hate them. Don't ever say hate. Uh, I was brought up that way. You don't tell anybody you hate them. You know, somebody make me mad. I hate you. Don't you ever say that. I'll wear you out. I'll I pull you bend over. I'll take his belt to your backside. And so most people have been brought up, when they hear the word hate, that's taboo. Uh, That's reserved. No, 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 we don't do. So I want to say this. We as humans, when we think of hate, it's always, as I mentioned at the beginning, in a sinful way. Uh, Our thoughts, when we hate something, always turn sinful of how we're going to get revenge How we're going to destroy them. How we're going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so our thoughts when it comes to things that we hate, it always leads to sin and sinful thoughts. And it's a carnal fleshly way of looking at things. Because we cannot look at things the same way God does. God does not see things the same way. Uh, When he hates something, it's not with a sinful hate. It's never sinful. It's always righteous. It's a righteous hatred that God has. There is no evil in God whatsoever. And so when the Bible says he hated and God hates, and by the way, the Bible tells us numerous places about things God hates. I'm going to give you a few of those briefly here. But like I said, we see hate differently than than what the Bible speaks of God's hate. And so um, he looks at it through holy eyes. The Bible shows us this over in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Six things that the Bible says that God hates. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, even seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. There was six things that the Bible says the Lord hates. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 8. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. And I will direct their work in truth and will make an everlasting covenant with them. Now, he's talking about uh, when it comes time to worship and people are not worshiping the way that he's commanded to worship. He says, I hate that. I, I hate it. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 17. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor and love no false oath. For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. I'm getting somewhere. Hang on. Deuteronomy chapter 16 verses 21 and 22. Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God which thou shalt make thee neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the lord thy god hateth hateth now in the new testament we're also shown some things god hates let me give you one of those in revelation chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 the lord jesus is speaking about the church at ephesus and you know how he did those seven churches there of asia and he, listed off the, the bad and good things and all this but for Ephesus he says this in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of, out of his place except thou repent verse 6 But this thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans which I also hate now did you notice a common thread between all of those hatreds the Bible mentions that God has all of these things are unrighteous deeds everything that was mentioned there is is against God it's unrighteous it's unholy and every one of those God says I hate that God cannot love that, that type of thing God and hate cannot coexist because there is no evil in God. And so, those things, when he says he hates them, he despises those things. But not only that, which is hard for people to understand, it falls down to the individual sinner. Now, hell was designed for Satan and his demons, but it enlarges itself daily, the Bible says. Because people are going there. Do you know why they're going there? Because they're lost. Because they're sinners. Because they do those things which God hates. And so God's wrath is not poured out on the sin. It's poured out on the sinner. Sins aren't sent to hell to burn. Sinners are sent there. Now, that's tough. That's tough for a lot of people. A lot of people don't want to accept that. We want to just think of God as, oh, God would never, ever, ever do that to anyone because he loves everybody. That's what the Bible teaches. So when it comes to God's love-hate relationship between Jacob and Esau, um, we must remember last week we studied the verses before it. And in verse 11 it said, For the children being not yet born, Neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election must stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. So it's just the fact God chose who he was going to choose before they were ever born. Neither one of these had done anything. There were babies inside their mother, mother's womb. They're brothers. They're their twins. So they're born. They're in the same womb. And one of those, God chose to love, to bless, to make one of his elect. The other one, he did not choose. The Bible says, for Esau, I hated. Now, we all know that Esau would eventually grow up to be a sinful, carnal, wicked man who would never love God. But it's. It's, we need to be very careful before we say such things as the Ar- Armenians that say, "Well, God looked back from the portals of time and looked through the future and said and saw who would accept Him and who wouldn't." I don't believe that. I don't think that that's what God did because God already knows all. You know, like my dad used to say, we can see things, you know, what what we just did, and maybe right here in front of our face, but God opens it up and he sees it all from beginning all the way through eternity. And so God chooses. He has that right. It's his will. It's his sovereignty. And that is that word that a lot of people don't want to hear in the Baptist church. He's preaching Calvinism up there. He's teaching that reformed theology. No, I'm preaching the Bible. That's what the Bible says. And so neither one of these boys had done anything inside the womb to warrant God's love or hate it was simply god's choosing his divine will his sovereignty now you can look at it as god chose jacob to be the one who would be blessed and of course we know through israel and israel is that blessed line and he chose not to bless esau chose not to bestow his his covenant and his blessings and and, and love upon you could look at it that way. Uh, but the real question is not why did he hate Esau? It's why in the world did he love Jacob? My, my oldest daughter would agree with that. Uh, she gets really irritated when we start talking about Jacob. Uh, Jacob, he was a terrible man. He, he really was. He come out of the womb trying to, you know, grab his brother's heel and, uh, he was a cheater. He was a deceiver. He was helped out by his mother doing that. Uh, God already had planned in his will to bless him. If they'd left things alone, God would have just blessed them. He wouldn't have had to go through all that trouble, go there and get fooled by uh, his father, his future father-in-law, Laban. He wouldn't have had to go through all that if he'd just let God do his work. But through deception, he had to suffer. He had to go through that trial. And uh, we see what, what come out. And he did. His heart was toward God. God, It was God's will. God selected him, elected him, and uh, chose him. And so the fact is, God chose Jacob. He did not choose Esau. And that is God's prerogative. That's his right. You may ask, well, why would he choose one over the other? I don't know. Ask him. Ask God. When you get to heaven, go up to God and say, Hey, God, why, how come you chose him? you chose jacob didn't choose esau why'd you say you hated esau and you loved jacob yeah i didn't love either one of them uh just ask him i don't know but uh listen we don't have time to look in the next verses this morning and but there in the next verses paul answers the question that's going to come out of this what he just said is is god fair is that fair? What he did, is it fair? He chose Jacob, not Esau. Is it fair? fair for electing some and not others? Is that fair? And Paul's going to gonna set them straight on, on God's fairness. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the message. Lord, thank you for the divine truths that's in your holy word. God, help us as we continue going through this sermon series. God, that you'll reveal the, the things that you want revealed to us, God. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our understanding of your word. May we see the deep things of God. But Lord, we're also praying for that one that's lost. We know clearly from your word that, Lord, they must understand and believe the gospel to be saved. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to save men from their sins. And, Lord, it's through Jesus that we can be saved. God, help us today be able to reach them that are lost help us here at this church lord and may we always be uh, doing things according to your will for it's these things we ask in the name of jesus and amen all right um i did want to say that uh, our friend phil ledbetter he passed away this past week Um, he had survived cancer i think four different times and uh, finally ended up getting COVID and pneumonia and put in the hospital on a ventilator, and he passed away. Um, we went to school with him. We, were, um, we, were, we knew him pretty well and his family, his son. Uh, they are having his funeral at New Beverly Church this week. They were going to have it at Minots, and so many people are planning to come, they didn't have room. So they changed it to New Beverly Baptist Church down there beside the Target at Easttown. Uh, I don't recall what day it's on, but it's it's coming up uh, soon. And then he'll have a burial, a private one later in Cades Cove. He's actually a, uh, his family lineage comes from Cades Cove and he's got a, a burial plot up there and he'll be buried up there. All right. Well, are all hearts and minds clear this morning?